Happy Easter. One of my favorite scripture passages of all time, and especially for Easter, is Revelation 5. It's uh, full of symbolism and imagery and all sorts of layered meaning. It's essentially an Easter passage. John the Revelator has ascended to the heavenly realm. And while he's there, there are these scrolls that need to be unrolled to usher in the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation, and all the promises of God. The problem is that there's no one who can open the scroll. People begin weeping and crying out and John is observing and watching all of this. There are strong angels and elders wearing white robes that have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And all of a sudden, a strong angel says, Look! The conquering lion! King of kings and Lord of lords! The one who reigns over all of creation and breathed all being into existence. And they all look to see this glorious throne with a mighty lion sitting upon it. But when they turn to look, they see a slain and bloody lamb. The way of the world wants to see power over, but the way of the cross in the resurrected Christ is a power that comes under to transform us personally but also socially and the whole world has the potential to be changed by this dynamic seemingly weak power that comes through the crucified Christ who has risen on the third day. In the first and second centuries, there were many epistles. Only a fraction of them made it into our canon, into our Holy Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Two epistles or two letters that didn't make it in, but are historic and meaningful and almost made it in, are called the first epistle of Clement and the epistle of Barnabas both written between 70 and 140 A.D. And in these epistles, in these letters, Clement and Barnabas are talking about Jesus' wounds. In the Koine Greek, the term for wound is trauma, where we get the word trauma. And we read that Jesus is wounded. Jesus is traumatized because of our sins. And Barnabas writes that Jesus' wounds touch our wounds, or Jesus' trauma touches our trauma. Henry Nouwen calls this the wounded healer. This is the slain lamb who was sacrificed that all of us might find hope and healing and comfort and newness. 
So Revelation talks a lot about the symbolism and the deeper meaning of such things, but I want to bring it closer to the 21st century. I was on social media a couple days ago, and I was reading a post by Melissa Floor Bixler, who is a Mennonite pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina. She recently published the book Fire by Night, and she'll be speaking here in the next couple of months. And she wrote, if you ever get a time machine and are given the opportunity to go back in time to start a new religion in the first century CE, I would highly recommend not having women be the only witnesses to the defining event of your religion because that would be considered super not credible. This is also why this whole women at the tomb part is fascinating. And it stirred all sorts of conversation and dialogue and the thread broke off into sub-threads and all sorts of things uh, began to evolve. And then Glenn Guyton, who is the executive director of the Mennonite Church USA, of the whole denomination, and who will also be speaking here December 8th, he responded and said, What? I think it was great that women saw it. The men were all scared and locked in a room. I think God was intentional with having women see Jesus first. Have you ever tried to get details from a man? And every story I tell gets better and more exciting every time I tell it. My wife and children can testify to this, at least for me, not to use gender norms too much here, but sometimes these things happen. <laughs> he continues, If I found Jesus in the tomb, it would go something like, I was fighting off the devil with one hand and giving Jesus CPR with the other. All of a sudden, ten Roman soldiers came out of nowhere and I called Peter. And I said, Hey, Peter, give me a hand. He didn't hear me, though, because Pontius Pilate was talking about mega, M-E-G-A, make empires great again. So I had to knock Satan out, then scare off the Roman with this burning bush that appeared out of nowhere. So it was interesting to watch these leaders of the Mennonite church go back and forth about the women who appeared at the tomb. A little side note, but I found it very interesting. Pastor Melissa then made a comment about, oh, how come I haven't yet been invited to preach at convention? <laughs> and Pastor Glenn says, Melissa, send me a copy of your dream convention sermon and I'll let you know what I think. Hello, well. Pastor Melissa says, my dream convention sermon is just all of us watching Beyonce's homecoming together. <laughs> Oh. So the women at the tomb in John 20, we hear Jesus. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? That's what Jesus asked Mary. And she panics because the tomb is empty. And she thinks someone stole the body of her rabbi, her friend. Who are you looking for? Mary of Magdala goes to his tomb. 
because that's all they can think of doing. To find a way to be a little closer to Jesus, her teacher, her deliverer. She knew he was dead, but she wanted to be close to whatever was left of him. Who are you looking for? Mary thought she knew. She thought she was going to find Jesus dead, a corpse in a tomb. That's who she was looking for. That's what she wanted to see. Instead, she finds an empty tomb, two angels, and a stranger who looks like the groundskeeper or a gardener. And she can't see that the person talking with her is the one she's been looking for. That's the drama of the story. She can't see that the person who is looking at her is the one she's been looking for. Mary can't see Jesus because he doesn't look like he's supposed to. His voice doesn't have the same inflection, the same accent, the same tone. She's looking for Jesus as he was. And that means that she can't recognize him here and now. She can't recognize his resurrected life until he calls her by name. Mary. Then she knows. When she hears her name, then she sees him. There's something about hearing her name spoken to her. There's something about being known by someone that he recognizes her, that he sees her, that Jesus knows Mary. It's not just that he is alive that matters, that he's resurrected, but that he is alive for her, that he comes back to her, that he speaks resurrected life into her as he pronounces her name, Mary. She is named, she is known, she is remembered by the person she didn't recognize. Yes, the bodily resurrection of Jesus matters, the fleshiness of it all. But it's just as important that he is resurrected for her, that he comes back to her, that he is present with her. This isn't a story about resurrection in the abstract. Resurrection is some kind of cosmic happening. No, instead what happens is that the resurrection is so personal, so intimate. It's about Mary of Magdala. It's about the disciples. It's about you and me. There's a lot of discussion about the resurrection. Is it literal? Is it symbolic? Was it an idea hatched by his disciples to keep the Jesus movement moving? We have to find where we land, where we believe and how we believe and how we experience this new life that's promised in Christ, promised in the resurrection. 
Resurrection is the story of a friend coming back from the dead to be with another, to see her, to speak with her, to share a life together again, a life beyond death. The church begins with Mary of Magdala. In her encounter with the risen Jesus and with Jesus commissioning her to share the good news with the other disciples. She's the first preacher and missionary of the resurrected Christ. Her and the other women who went to the tomb to visit what they believed would be simply the lifeless body of Jesus. But instead, they find the one who was slain, resurrected and full of new life. This first preacher, this first missionary, she offers us the good news of resurrection, the good news of Easter, that we are here with Jesus, who is back from the dead to eat with us, to make us food, to call us by name. Of course, we may not recognize him. We may not recognize his voice or his eyes or even his body, but that's because he looks like the person sitting next to you, across from you, the person who's sitting in the homeless shelter, the families that are trying to cross the border and find a new life, a new promise. Jesus spoke very plainly. He said, I was hungry and you got me food. I was thirsty and you got me something to drink. I was incarcerated and you visited me. I was a stranger, undocumented, seeking a home, and you welcomed me in with open arms. And his disciples said, we didn't see you. When did all of this happen? And Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, those who are often invisible and ignored and stepped on and stepped over, whatever you do to those on the margins of our society, to those who are on the underside of our society, you do unto me. This is where we find hope and new life by seeing the divine in the marginalized, by seeing hope where our society and the world system tries to crush those they deem insignificant, by lifting up those who were like crushed grapes, but by the Spirit of Christ have been transformed into new wine. This is what we're called to, to love deeply and to embody Christ's message of love. Easter invites us to look again and again, here and now, to see Jesus alive in us, alive in you and the person beside you. Amen.